What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Faded Truth. Today, I got my man, Nick T, on the show. How you feeling over there? I'm feeling blessed. DJ, educator, extract artist, basically cannabis industry expert, wrapped up, host, speaker, consultant. I mean, you do it all, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, all that. And so I got connected to you through um, Elevated. Elevated. Shout out to Elevated TV. Ocho, okay. Ed Ocho. Ocho. Yeah, Ed, Ed. I was going to say Ed, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, you need to get this guy on the show and da da da. I was like, all right, because I've been getting more into um, like cannabis things. Like I started the brand because I wanted to break that stigma of like cannabis just makes you a fucking drug addict, all that shit. But then once I started getting into it, I realized like how much it really does help people and like people with serious issues like really do use this. I just use it because I like being high and it just keeps me not being a bitch, like kind of, you know, ripping people's faces off. But it's medicine too, yeah, though, right? Right, that's what I think. I'm like, okay, maybe it's kind of medicine, you know? So tell me about your first encounter with cannabis. Like, when Ooh. do you first even... First encounter with cannabis, yes. I was on a family camping trip, um, and we had a German foreign exchange student with us, and we went out on the water on, like, a little raft, and he breaks out this cigarette pack. And at first... He uh, lights a cigarette and he smokes it a couple times and he hands it to me and I'm like, okay, I'll try. I'm like, I guess I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And I tried dragging this cigarette and I thought it was horrible and I literally just flew it, flung it into the water. Like it was like, it made me cough. It was fucking bad and I just flung it, like not even really thinking. And he scolded me, got really mad at me. Oh, I only brought a couple of those from Germany. This is like a 12 year old kid, mind you. And they start smoking. <laughs> And then he pulls out of his cigarette pack a spliff, a combination of tobacco and cannabis. And he takes a few drags and he passes it to me. He's like, don't throw this one away, please, 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 please. <laughs> passes it to me, I take a drag. And I'm like, man, that's good. You know, I enjoyed it. And I think more so than even getting high or getting that feeling of getting high, I just liked the act of smoking. I always liked smoke as a kid. Um, and so for him to pass me something that didn't kill my throat, didn't make, it didn't taste horrible to me, I was like, okay, I like this. So that German exchange student really started things. And then I lived in Tahoe, California for a while with some cats from London, and they just kind of continued the trend with me. Um, I started learning how to roll backflips and rolling these long crutches and... You know. Backflips? What's that? Yeah, it's like when you roll backwards and then you rip half the paper off so you only have one even layer of paper. Um, I don't know, just little tricks right. of rolling, and I got really into it. And, uh, yeah, I haven't really stopped smoking spliffs since then. But it's not just the tobacco. The tobacco does help it make, or helps it be smoother on my throat, even though tobacco might be more harsh on your throat, the combination now, because I'm used to it. So um, you don't think it messes up the flavor of the weed? Not for me. For okay. you, it probably would. And I, would I really taste the tobacco don't more. condone tobacco right. smoke. I should, you know, preface Because that's what I'm that saying. I'm over well. here rolling my hemp wrap, you know, because I was trying to, I smoked blunts my whole life and I was trying to avoid losing like a lip or something, right? Because well, I know, was like, if you've smoked bum. blunt your whole life, you get it. This is basically a blunt, but the tobacco's on the inside instead of the outside. Okay. So I was like, I got to switch to like something that's non-tobacco. I like that though. If I want to be like the rest of my life smoking, you know. Trust so. me, trust me. I dig it. I dig it. And I'm working on. Uh, Do you don't smoke down. cigarettes? I don't smoke cigarettes at all okay. anymore. I smoked for fuck 15 plus years, um, and I do not smoke. What anymore. was your cigarette? What's that? What was your American cig Spirit? 
Mine was Newport Hundreds. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's bad. Yeah, I've tried every vaporizer that's come out to market. I and I do. I smoke these. I smoke these, you know, these new disposable ones. I've been filling some uh filling some rosin carts. Um oh, yeah. So I have been switching it up a little bit, but I always tend to go back to the spliff. It's just uh it's a habit. Okay, so you're basically like a cannabis expert over here so what made you like get into the cannabis community like how did you even cross that like were you doing were you doing regular jobs before you started like with music and cannabis i've i don't know what a regular job really is <laughs> i was a lifeguard for a little bit i was a swim instructor and i was a teacher okay um so i guess you know somewhat regular jobs um but that was yeah probably up until 15 years old 16 years old and then wow. i started uh Getting really into cannabis. Um, I grew up in Northern California. Cannabis was really prevalent in my upbringing. It was very accepted in my family. I'm blessed to have an amazing supportive family. Much love, mom, dad, love y'all. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, cannabis has just been very prevalent. Northern California, it was around. Yeah, and I actually went out to Colorado because Colorado was the first place that would allow me to really operate legally you know 215 in california was okay it provided some pr protection and there were a lot of other benefits to 215 of course um but what it lacked was uh you know real protection and what colorado gave me was some real protection and getting licensed um you know i was the first hash company to get licensed and pay taxes on hashish in the united states that's Pretty, crazy. Uh, so this is the essential extracts. Yeah. yeah when yeah. did you open this? Uh, 2009, we started, and 2000, by 2010, we were licensed. Okay. So I need to know, how do you come to make this company? Like, what happened in that 15 years old to, like, I 10 years ago? What are weed. you doing? I was selling weed. Okay. I was paying my way through college. I was... Okay. Are you making connects, like, with people in cannabis as you're doing this? Because it's Because now it's not stigmatized, right? So you well, can, like, meet people you, in it you know pre-2009 it wasn't legal anywhere pre-2010 it wasn't really oh, yeah. you know legal anywhere in california there was medical there was 215 there was 215 in places or medical in places uh before 2009 what's the but, 215 i'm sorry uh was california's medical laws their okay. initial laws which are now defunct or extinct, if you will. New Prop 64 replaced 215, which brought on recreational cannabis, but it also really hurt medical. Um, right. You know, so um, either way, I was selling weed in California to dispensaries because under 215 laws, I could grow and produce on a home property basically and then come to distribute to dispensary so i was doing that quite a bit um as i moved along uh throughout college i was selling weed to pay rent and pay right. for books and pay for school um and it just kind of continued and i started making hash and when we started making hash bubble hash was really really popular and bubble hash was this brown kind of pliable mildew smelling oftentimes <laughs> um hash yeah the only time i ever like heard hash was like when it was like dark brown sticky shit yeah. and i've smoked it like maybe once in my life and i just got higher than usual but i i had to been like 14 15 maybe like i don't even know where this came from like it probably came from the emerald triangle to be honest like so much bubble hash was made up in northern california what is the difference like what is the hash 
Well, bubble hash is made with water. So that's what really differentiates it from other forms of extraction. Hash, though, to just break it down even further, is the trichomes. If you're looking at a bud, it's shining back at you. It's got trichomes these, the on it. The white things? Yeah, that, it's got, uh, uh, it's got these heads. And it's shown on the microscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the bud has these trichomes, which really contain all of the goodness. It contains the oils and the terpenes and the flavonoids and esters and all the things that taste and smell good and make you feel good, right? So that's what the trichome has in it. Um, Extractors, extract artists, as you prefaced, um, take those trichome heads and manipulate them. We remove them from the plant material when we manipulate them. Some extract artists utilize butane and other hydrocarbons and heavy chemicals. I tend to stay on the solventless route, so I do a lot of mechanical separations, and I don't use any hydrocarbons in that side of things. There's certain strains that I do prefer to use hydrocarbon in just for viability. Um, How I might are be getting, getting a little these ahead. like things off the bud though? So with bubble hash or water hash, we're removing those trichomes by using light agitation, cold environments, and a cold ice water slurry. So we basically create an ice water bath with ice and water, very, very clean ice and water and we submerge the plant material or the buds. I like fresh frozen whole plant, so that bud hasn't been trimmed or um, dried. I just like it frozen, immediately chopped off the plant, big leaf chopped down into the freezer, and then that's how I like to get it. Um, but basically, I agitate in the ice water slurry, utilizing the ice to break off those trichome heads, but also that cold nature allows me to just take the trichome heads off rather than breaking off any of the plant material. And we do this agitation where it's breaking off the trichome heads from the plant material, from the bud. And then we, after a while, collect from a series of micron mesh bags. Micron is just a unit of measurement. And uh, a mesh bag is uh, basically like a, a silk screen, like a bag but instead of it being like t-shirt material, it's a very fine micron mesh. And we collect the trichome heads in different sizes of that micron mesh. <laughs> from there, I'm Did the Bachelor going. of Science help with this? Did, the, um, <laughs> did that come in handy or did it not? It, was it, it not might useful have motivated me because I had such shitty science classes in college. I really loved science. I was really into it and I had the worst teachers. Um, so I feel like that might have even been a subliminal motivation for me to just do my own fucking thing. And that's what I've done. Um, a lot of this, a lot of what I've learned, I learned a lot from Mila, the hash queen in Amsterdam, but a lot of what I've now learned and teach is stuff from trial and error. I've been blessed with the ability to be in a protected lab since day one, being the first licensed one. So we were able to do this R&D with protection without as much fear of somebody coming to rob us. Of course, people robbed us. Um, without as much fear of people you know, uh, coming to break down our doors, cops coming to break down our doors. Of course, we had overregulation. Um, but, you know, the goal was, and the goal still On is. On paper, it looked a little better, The goal better, was, right? and the goal still <laughs> is, that regulation provides some protection for me, some sleep at night money. It might not be as much money as I made in the trap, um, but I sleep at night. And I got a kid, right. and I got big plans for this you world. Think, you so, gotta think you know, things through when you get I older. I think big, and uh, I'm on that path. First legal tax paying hash company. So I don't, that's what I'm confused about. So they taxed 
Is it because it was the first one ever or they were taxing people before? Um, well, so it, we were basically the first one ever. We were the first company to reach out to the DOR, to the IRS and be like, hey, we want to pay taxes on hashish, gotcha. not a DBA, like selling not it? some roundabout route. Yeah, okay. selling it, producing it, selling it. Um, unfortunately, I think being loud like that, they back taxed me. Um, 280E is the tax bill that's put on the cannabis industry. Anybody working in the cannabis industry is taxed 280E which basically means that there's no write-offs and it's a huge, huge tax rate, okay? Um, they developed 280E back in the day for cocaine dealers, for heroin dealers, for drug dealers, basically. Um, way back in the day, in the 60s, I believe, they developed 280E. And when the cannabis industry came into play, they brought 280E into the cannabis industry. If you want to play in the cannabis industry, you're going to wow. pay these crazy taxes. So they labeled me a drug trafficker, but they back taxed me way the fuck back well before the industry even started as a wow. drug trafficker. So um, being loud had its benefits, but it also had its downsides. I'm still very vocal about it because I need people to know, you know, what we've been through. You know, they say if you've been in this industry as long as I have, we got strong legs because all we do is jump through hur hurdles. Like <laughs> it's been it's been madness. But I'm I just can't imagine, still especially be here in doing what I love. You know, and like right. What, That's the thing. You're in like one of the biggest, like I feel like stigmatized industries, right? And that's why I love being in it because I'm like, it's rare to see females in cannabis. You know what I mean? Okay. Let alone like successful people in cannabis that are like doing things to break those you know, barriers of social equity and just a bunch of different shit that goes on in those industries that no one knows about either. Yeah, even just, you know, the reefer madness madness stigma. You know, I smoke weed all day long. I'm smoking 15 to 20 of these big cannons and I function. You're smoking I'm 20 with the gift of gab. Uh, splits a day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I'm not you know, even a I'm, big pothead. I'm able because uh, oftentimes I'm in planes and Ubers and Right, and then conferences you, places and, where you can't fucking... Yeah. That's when I have my pen. Labs, That's the only time I, I use my pen. Smoke in most licensed labs. There's some licensed <laughs> labs that are allowing R&D consumption, which I think is beautiful. A beautiful thing. That I can walk around in my facility in Missouri with a split in my mouth. It's right. uh, fucking epic. Anyways. So, okay, so the hash, is it comparable to like oil or concentrate? Yeah, well, you know, water hash in general is comparable but in form it's more of an unstable product that needs to be refrigerated to retain its heads um, and that like fish egg type structure to it um, if it's really high quality hash um, or water hash it'll basically melt and it'll be see-through and then eventually it'll butter up um, there's other types of hash and there's ways of what makes it brown pressing hash as uh yeah, to make it brown or to make it darker. There's ways of pressing hash to conserve it or to transport it. And that's how, why pressing hash was initially really started, uh, was to transport it. Hash was made in a certain region and sold in another region for the most part. So um, transporting that product, those trichome heads without refrigeration, people started to press it and compress it and make it into bricks or pucks. I just wonder who the first person was that was like, let me figure out the well scientific me. things of weed. Like, it's crazy to me. Because when, uh, are you are you a ganjier or are you in the program? Ganjier, yeah, I'm a teacher. Ganjier, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you say it. I'm a teacher and a board member. Did yeah, you just Gangier. meet my boy, James Nappy? James Nappy, I did meet James Nappy. Now, I'm trying to put the name to the face because uh, I remember short, hearing his name. white, black hair. 
Yep. Okay. 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 Probably just shorts. Yep. 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 (laughs) Where's he from? He's from Jersey. Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's my best friend from Jersey. Okay. Trippy. That's what's up. So, uh, yeah, he'll be here next week after his excursions or whatever that you guys are doing. Yeah. yeah, Okay. I think he was just in one of my most recent classes. Shout out to you, Naps. I'm glad you found a passion to follow. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. Um, okay. So with the, all of our students have been amazing thus far. It's, it's an amazing program. It's emotional. Shit. It's pretty cool to see how far it's come. I um, love it. I, I love was looking for a platform like Greenflower media, who was brought on the Gangier program for a long time as a teacher who was tired of just doing it all on my own. I was throwing my own events and doing things of that nature and speaking on a ton of panels. Um, it's, uh, it's nice to be a part of a platform that's really bringing some quality to the space. So you knew Frenchie Cannoli, right? Yeah. Okay, so what do you think? I know RIP to him. I'm sorry for your loss because I know it's pretty recent. Um, what do you think, like, how did he influence your life the most, do you think? Well, Frenchie was a good friend of mine. Um, Like, just a really good friend. Like, whenever there were events, me and Frenchie were hanging out. Whenever I saw him at an event, it was, like, my go-to just to smoke spliffs and hold a vibe and catch up. Um, We, you know, we've done events together in Barcelona, Spain. We've done events together all throughout the U.S. Um, And... uh, Frenchie is a, a mentor. He's a friend. He he's a peer. Um, he's still with me. Like it's uh, yeah. And a lot of a lot of the things we do, I might get emotional here because we were really close. But um, yeah, for a while when I was living in the Bay, back in the Bay, what for two years prior to Corona, um, I was working at a facility or building a facility in Richmond and doing a lot more work in California. And Frenchie was in Richmond, so every event that we were doing in California, I was picking Frenchie up as his driver um, and uh, even got closer, you know, just driving him around and smoking spliffs together. But what Frenchie brought to the industry and what, to the world is just the revitalization of old world hash and old world techniques and really just in general pushing the solventless movement. Although, you know, he might not have been using that term. He's been pushing the movement. He's been pushing a movement that doesn't involve butane or hydrocarbons. He's been pushing a natural movement. We have slightly different styles in the way that we make hash, the way, the way that we make product. And I have a little bit more of a new world style, if you will. Um, but Frenchie would always say that I really helped bring water hash back to the United States because it was a dying culture when butane came about. Um, and Frenchie was passionate about the same thing, um, about keeping water hash, keeping bubble hash, keeping temple balls, keeping pressed hashish alive. Right. I like the whole philosophy of just like keeping the plant the plant. That's exactly you what know, it is. And yeah. just like not adding all this shit to it. So yeah. the... The solventless extract that you're doing, basically the benefits for this are better for the environment, right? It's cost 100. effective for what businesses you said? Yeah, it is. It is safe because there's no butane, and so not as much disposable, not not as much waste disposal, and also fewer fewer impurities. Yeah, and it's also safe for the consumer. You know, because the consumer doesn't have to worry about these, uh, you know hydrocarbons or butane or isopentane or things left behind so when it says like this is a huge carbon footprint chemical based solvents 
Does that just mean it's something that's going to destroy the world quicker? Eventually, yeah. Is that what the carbon yeah. footprint is? Yeah. I never knew yeah. what it was. Yeah, and it's about finding a balance, you know, for me anyways. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm making products the same way, you know, as if... Uh, I'm putting out products that look like butane products. This is a cartridge, but it's pure rosin. You know, we have not added anything. We have not removed anything. Um, now it's pure you... rosin. And this is a disposable product. You know, once this cartridge is done, this is to be recycled. Um, you know, same thing with this. Um, and I'm coming down on myself right now. But there are some changes that need to be made in general in our industry. Um, and we're working on them slowly, but... At the same time, people really like ease of use, you know, and new users don't want to have to press a button three times or figure out what temperature to use a product at. Right. You know, so this disposable uh, that we just filled recently is uh, very, very user friendly. It's just something personal. We're, do we're doing a lot of R&D right now. So this is just like a personal R&D project that I was doing. Um, but this is also pure, pure rosin, nothing else added or removed. R&D stands for research and development. Mm. And I do a lot of that in my line of work. Um, I almost do it daily because I'm learning each and every day. And when I stop learning is when I lose motivation and I have not lost motivation. So. Right. I feel like this industry, you're never going to lose motivation. There's, There's always so something. There's so much to learn. And if you stop, you know, if you lose motivation, yeah, sometimes you need a little break. But You'll get it back. Yeah, buck up. You know, so much it's just learn. like so life's a roller do. coaster, so and I've just learned do. just roll with it. Yeah. You just gotta roll with it. Um, but yeah, you know, um, there are a lot of advantages to solventless and mechanical separation. So the rosin, what is that? That's what's coming out. The extract is the rosin. Yep. Okay. Okay. I was actually told about that resin versus rosin. Live resin would be made with butane, and live rosin or rosin would be made mechanically. Um, there's multiple ways to make rosin. Some people press flour and make flour rosin. I prefer to make a more stable product, so we make that water hash first. I freeze dry that water hash. This is kind of continuing on with the story from earlier. Um, freeze dry that water hash, which basically removes all the moisture. And if I don't have any plant material and I don't have any moisture, I don't have any chance for creating mold microbial issues down the line. Um, I'm really particular with the cleanliness that you know goes into the process and everything surrounding water hash you have to be real clean the process make sure that you're not creating mold and microbial issues um, so we take it out of the freeze dryer we put it in some mesh bags we press it at a specific temperature certain amount of pressure and we extrude the oil from those trichome heads so remember earlier i was talking about collecting those trichome heads that's what went into the freeze dryer okay and then those trichome heads go into a bag and we press them with heat and pressure and we remove just the oil and what remains in the bag is the waxes and thca um we're able to retain a lot of the thca and a lot of the terpenes via this method and from there and other cannabinoids of course and from there, we can manipulate it in a number of fashions. There's so many different end product results that are out there and that are popular. Everything from a cold cured batter consistency to a fresh pressed clear consistency uh, to these rosin carts, rosin pods, rosin edibles, solventless edibles in general, because we can make edibles out of that water hash before we press it. Lots of cool things you can do to manipulate that end product. Mechanically, without the use of any harmful chemicals. 
So what's your favorite way to like use cannabis? Because you're smoking spliffs. I like spliffs. Do you I like really, dry I, bud better? Like, I, or are you taking dabs all the time? I use cannabis in so many ways. I like, I wake up in the morning, I put like cannabis you know lotion on my face <laughs> i think i use like a cannabis like gel or something in my hair at this point like i i have so many friends in the industry i get so many samples everywhere i go right um so i use a lot of cannabis products on a daily i put my tincture or my isolate into my smoothies in the morning when i'm on the road i'm eating my cbd gummies so you're like microdosing all day. Um, all day, yeah. Okay. And today, right before this, specific? even like I, I got pretty high in my hotel room and <laughs> I had a drink and I was like, oh, I'm a little antsy because I'm about to do this podcast. I was like, oh yeah, CBD, and it made me a lot more level-headed. I was like, okay, smooth sailing. <laughs> <laughs> so have you always been uh, health conscious? Yeah, I think just naturally. Um, I my diet really dictates a healthy lifestyle. I don't eat any red meat, I don't eat any pork, and I don't eat any dairy, all three of which is because I can't digest it. Um, I don't have anything against people eating it. I love the smell when friends are cooking steaks or burgers or something. I just don't have the enzymes to digest it. Um, so that keeps me pretty healthy. Um, I need to work out a lot more, but that's coming. And it's, you know, it comes in strides. I hit it hard during the beginning of Corona and I was on top of it. And, but I eat really, really healthy and, you know, I stretch. I think that's a big part of it. I need to be working out a little bit more to really, really be. I mean, because I, I feel like be. to think of something that you're like, OK, healthy. I want to I want to I want to smoke this substance, which is like totally off the radar. Like you're doing scientific. You're taking like you're you're the shit. All right. Nicotine got this. So. For you to think like, let me do this the best way possible to not harm myself or anyone else. You know, you must really had to have already cared about yourself and your health to, you know what I mean? To think like that, I feel like. Well, and it was back in the day, I wanted to mimic what I was making with butane without the use of butane because I really didn't know what the fuck this butane that we were shoving through the product was doing. That was what it was. There was just a real serious lack of knowledge fuck 15 20 years ago when we started blasting butane on the back porch of my college house <laughs> blasting in, butane in, in boulder <laughs> you know for real that's what it was we were open blasting we were taking cans of butane and shoving it through a tube that had weed in it and it was like freezing at the same time as stripping via the solvent out all the oil which we now do mechanically um but I did it a lot back then, and I was giving it to my friends, but I really didn't know what I was giving my friends. It scared me. It concerned me. I did a lot of research. I started traveling to Amsterdam to study what the fuck I was doing um, because there was a lot of unknowns back then. Um, and I started, uh, finally, I, I went to the Bluebird Cafe, and they were showing me some COAs, some test results, basically, uh, of a butane-extracted product that they had on their shelf, and it had all kinds of heavy metals and, and byproducts from the process. Um, and, and that scared me even more. So I went back to the drawing board, and I was like, we got to do something. We got to make a product that looks like this honey oil but isn't made with butane. And it took a long time to get here <laughs> um, because in the beginning we were just controlling temperature and doing a lot of things that we hadn't done before making bubble hash in a hot barn in Humboldt County we were controlling a lot more variables we were working in a cold room we were using clean water and clean ice and 
the product, the material that we started using wasn't just the trim that was left over that was sitting in a hot barn as well in a black trash bag. We started using fresher trim and we started freezing the trim eventually. And then, you know, really 2015 and rosin came along. Rosin was around before, but this gentleman named Phil soil grown really helped commercialize rosin and scale it up. He's the first person to press flowers and extrude the oil. And then we were all like, oh shit, maybe this is scalable. Maybe we can do this on a bigger level. And, uh, you know, I always give credit to him. We've done a lot of panels together and he gives credit to me watching my employees in my lab pressing hash with a flat iron. Um, but either way, I think he really incited it. He pushed the boundaries of what I thought were possible and pressing flour and creating an extract right there, you know, and he taught people you could make it at home. Um, and that really set people off. And now solventless is like a household name. People know what that term is. And I coined that term in 2010 or 11 or something like that um not knowing that it was gonna gain this popularity and become a whole community and a way of life and a way of processing that uh the whole world's really grasped a hold of um because it wasn't until rosin and then all the people playing with those post processing consistencies that we came up with something like this so um, there's a lot of other people other than myself that have been pushing the boundaries of what I thought were possible. So you are expanding to Missouri as well? Yeah. In fact, uh, we just opened up the doors of our 10,000 square foot facility. Okay. We got commencement. Um, we're slowly trickling some of the solventless gear and equipment, and we're just doing some pre-rolls and some things just in the meantime to break some some money in and uh, then we'll be releasing solventless products very soon on the Missouri market. I also just released CBD products recently via Essential Extract CBD and I have a CBD lab that's based in Missouri as well. So I've been working out in Missouri for a bit. Nice. So at what point do you get into music? Because now you're DJ Nicotee. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, actually, I think music kind of came before the licensed cannabis world. I've always been in the cannabis world. And I've always loved music. Um, I started DJing early on in college. Um, thanks to my brethren, DJ Synergy and my boy Jesse. They both really taught me about the equipment and how to DJ. Jesse was a hip hop scratch DJ. DJ Synergy was a very eclectic DJ. He was playing everything from like Nirvana remixes to trap music to UK grime music. Um, and I, I don't know, either way, very eclectic. And I learned from them initially, um, but I was really into reggae music. And I was traveling to Jamaica. I wanted to get dub plates made. I saw this culture in the sound system culture. The sound system culture was bred out of Jamaica and initially it was because crews would come together with their sound systems, with their speakers and battle each other. Um, that's like where the sound system culture kind of initiated. And so I was along that path and still am. I, I run a sound system called Joseph Star Sound. It's turned more into a production label rather than a battling sound system. I use it to throw events and do production um, and uh, book artists, etc. Uh, but, uh, music and DJing, you know, has really been around since day one. I started DJing early on in college, as I was saying, and I moved back out to the Bay area. I was DJing three, four, five nights a week in the Bay area. 
and working for a company called True School back in the day. True School was a big hip hop and reggae uh, marketing and promo company. And Ren, big up my family Ren over there, he taught me so much about how to market myself. Because um, initially I was passing out flyers and I was hitting cars with flyers. I was going into clubs and passing out flyers for other events. And that really taught me how to communicate and talk to the club owners, the bar people, or the security right. that didn't want me to come in with flyers. So I learned to go, you know, which clubs to go into with flyers, which ones to yeah. hide my flyers <laughs> and be classy about it. <laughs> um, and then eventually, you know, I was telling some other street teamers where to put flyers and which events to hit, you know, which flyers at. But um, then Ren started putting me and my boy Frankie Fresh. I was just hanging out with him last week in, in the Bay Area. Um, it's crazy how much road I've done. But uh, yeah, we, he started putting us on flyers and started putting us on events. And it taught me how to market myself as a DJ, you know, promoting it via flyers be, you know, on the street, literally back then. Um, and then, you know, people came into play and into my life, like my brethren DC, who I'm about to go DJ with in New Mexico. He taught me about social media. And Ren definitely continued that tradition with True School. But a lot of these people came together in the Bay Area for me and taught me how to promote myself on a street level with flyers and then on new media with social media, MySpace back then, um, and then into Facebook and now into Instagram and Twitch and Twitter and everything else that's cracking in the new it's media crazy. world. Um, so I've had a lot of people teach me along the way of, you know, how to market myself. And so I took what I learned from DJing and marketing myself, and that's actually when I created the brand Essential Extracts, because I learned how to market myself. I was like, why not try and market a brand? And I'm gonna start my own hash company. Nice. So that's that's what I do. Living the dream. <laughs> for, for so real. are you still doing DJ gigs? Like you I said, am. you went to Brazil and Spain. Uh, yeah, I was DJing, DJing a bunch there? in Spain. Yeah, nice. DJing and hosting and judging events in Spain. Um, Barcelona's reggae scene is is super authentic. You've got like choreographed dancers dancing on stage as I DJ. Um, it was a real true to I like reggae Caribbean a lot too. vibe. So um, I love what Bar Barcelona brings. What what really this one crew brings? Rude Teo and uh, Warrior Warrior Vibes and the family over there, Warrior Vibes was actually one of the first dudes to bring a sound system, to bring that culture from Italy to Barcelona. And they've kept that culture alive. Just that one crew single-handedly is crushing the reggae scene over there with Rude Teo um, and uh, the family over there. Uh, yeah, they, they run an event. They had been running an event for a long time at Sala Apollo, which is one of the biggest clubs in Barcelona. They had like a Wednesday night reggae night. You have something in mind? Like if you could perform anywhere, where would you want to be? Oh, I, I want to perform in Jamaica. I think it'll make me a better DJ. Um, I've performed like little things in Jamaica and like I've run some sound from my phone, but I want to perform in Jamaica because um, a lot of my influence comes from Jamaica. I play a lot of music these days. I play reggae, I play dancehall, Afrobeat, cumbia, mumbaton, play like a lot of Latin vibes and, and African vibes, but I do stick to reggae as a focus and dancehall as a focus. And um, I want to go to Jamaica and shell a crowd in Jamaica and I want them to, you know, I want to turn, I want to be able to turn heads and I build confidence every day. I feel like 
starting from DJing at clubs in the Bay Area, you know, where my right turntable would be broken and I'd have to learn instant doubles. Big up my bre- my, my sister in uh, Green Bee because uh, she taught me about instant doubles just as an example, but little things that have helped me adapt and adjust in the DJ world as far as technology or equipment being broken um, have, you know, increased my confidence on stage. And then even just this new digital era, I was playing a lot on Twitch. I actually got to practice rather than just gig for the first time in years. So I actually, you know, give thanks for the lockdown. I don't give thanks for what it's done. Of course, in the world, it's a fucked up situation, but um, it it made me focus. Yeah, it made me focus and get back on my turntables a lot more. Um, And just, you know, gaining that confidence. I'd love to go out in Jamaica and and sell a party, so. Let me know, because I need to go. (laughs) I need a a real vacay. And I heard Jamaica's beautiful. I'm trying to go to the Bahamas. It's so cheap online, like all-inclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to go somewhere tropical. Okay, <laughs> so I know that you have, well, you're Jewish, right? Or are you? Yeah, culturally. Culturally, um, like how do you, because I saw you have a lot of Jewish symbols in your logos. So I know you said that your family was really supportive of you and everything. So is that, is, is that normalized now in that, is I guess it a religion? Is Jewish a religion or a culture? It's both to me and I'm not too religious. I wasn't raised too religious my parents parents were raised fairly religious they were kosher they they kept kosher they were uh you know went to temple often for me my parents i think maybe went to temple for some high holy high holy holidays (laughs) i me and my little brother we had the choice what we wanted to do. I chose to get my bar mitzvah, but it's because there were a bunch of cute Jewish girls at Jew school. Um, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was about the money. Um, you know, it does, definitely wasn't about the money because people around me really didn't have a lot of money growing up. So it's all in who's around you. I feel like how big your bar mitzvah gets, you know, I wasn't, uh, but either way, you know, I got a nice watch, you know, and some, some things from the <laughs> got bar some mitzvah. Cute girls. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it, and, I don't know. For me, uh, I never really got too much into uh, the religious aspect. I'm more multi-religious, multicultural, and that's actually why I like this symbol. Um, this symbol is not only the Star of David in Judaism, but it's also Solomon's seal in Rastafari. It's the Hindu star of equilibrium. It's the sacred star in sacred geometry. There's a lot of meanings behind it. Mine actually has a peace sign behind it too. That so. star means all that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like much more to depending on who you talk to. You have any shout outs you want to give? Um, I think I did it earlier, but my mom, my dad, my little brother, my family, you know, all my friends, all my supporters, all my social media family and supporters, um, all my in a real life supporters, my Ganjie students, my Ganjie council members. Um, everyone uh, keeping me motivated and surrounding me with their positivity and beautiful energy. Much okay. love and respect. Love that. You got to keep good energy around you. Yeah. All right. So if you have to give like the best advice for anyone, what are you going to tell them? Take initiative. If we're speaking about the industry, the industry is still in its infancy. So take initiative. Be proactive. Put your, you know, Put yourself out there. If you're trying to get into the industry, uh, go to the events. Talk to the people that are in the industry. Send your resume around. Um, Yeah. Nice.
Put in work. Put in work. All right, Nika T. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. I learned so much today about solvents. Can That's I say so, is it? Solvents and sol solventless products. Solvent and solventless. Hash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashish. Yeah. All of it. Micro. What are they? Micro what? Oh, trichomes. Trichomes. <laughs> Yo, 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 my name is Nikati. You're here on Faded Truth. Make sure you subscribe. All right, well, until next time, peace. <laughs>